Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome. I am your host, Michael Moorcroft. The world is full of unseen forces. Let me be your guide as we lift the veil and peer into the face of the unknown. This is the major as well. Your one-on-one guide to all things witchcraft and spiritual. Hey majors, thanks for tuning in. This week we've got another tale of the zodiac and we're looking into the mythology behind the star sign Leo. Trigger warning and that there's a brief mention of suicide. Leo rules July 22nd to August 22nd and it is one of the oldest recognized constellations and also one of the largest. Coming from Latin, Leonis meaning lion, Many ancient cultures saw this sign as representing the lion and named it as such in their equivalent language. Apart from the Chinese, who saw one half as a horse and the other as Xiao Yuan, the yellow dragon. They adopted Leo the lion in the 16th century. The Babylonians saw Leo as having three main themes, that of the height of summer, war and carnage, and the king. For war and carnage, well, the carnal side was around cattle. Astrologers predicted when Mars stayed in the sign for a prolonged period of time, cattle would be killed by lions. Packs of lions were a serious threat, especially in Mesopotamia, and could wipe out herds. They could even shut down overland trade routes. In terms of war, military campaigns that were started in the spring would have come to fruition in Leo season. Many cultures associated Leo with heat, as the sun enters into the sign in the height of summer. To the Egyptians, the sun in Leo marked the annual flood of the Nile, and this was supposedly where the idea of lion-headed water fountains came from. The lion was seen as a water giver. In fact, they called Leo May, meaning a pouring out, and they believed that the sun first rose within Leo, particularly in the Denebola star, a star within the constellation when creation came into being. 
Now, supposedly, in this time of year, the height of summer, desert lions would leave their regular grounds and come to the Nile for relief from the heat. Lion statues can be found all along the Nile, including the Sphinx. Now, at one point, it was believed that the constellations of Leo and Virgo were actually combined, and Alice A. Bailey, a famous writer around astrology and myth, and it's worth mentioning that she was born towards the end of the 19th century, and had quite problematic views on race. Now, she wondered if the Sphinx combined these aspects with the Virgo's head and the lion's body, representing kingly soul with motherly aspects. It may also have been used to symbolise the masculine and the feminine being balanced. Now, some have even suggested that the Sphinx was built in 10,500 BCE, the age of Leo, to pay homage to the sign, and it's actually thought that it would have aligned with this constellation in 10,500 BCE. Although this is highly, highly, highly debated and would rewrite our textbooks on history as we know it. There's also strong associations between fertility goddesses and lions. I've spoken about Cybele in the past. She is often depicted seated with a lion. She's a huge goddess of fertility. And Rhea, the titan from Greece, also has this connection to lions. More than 40 goddesses in Egypt were associated with lions or other felines. Again, this idea of women and cats. It has connections to Virgo, which follows Leo in the Zodiac. The ancients were depicting within their sacred iconography what they saw in the sky. Leo is also heavily linked to royalty, and lions were often placed as statues guarding thresholds of cities, temples, and palaces. This was particularly so in Babylon. Access to the inner city was marked by Ishtar's gate, a beautiful blue-glazed brick wall marked with golden creatures. The processional road leading to this gate was flanked either side with friezes depicting 60 lions. Ishtar herself has strong links to lions and was called the Lioness of Heaven due to her thirst of war and blood. Her Sumerian equivalent is Anana, who was known locally as Lebetu, meaning lioness. She was often depicted on her throne supported by lions and her foot resting on one. Her planet is Venus, and when it entered Leo, it was an omen of war. It was also believed that if thunder was heard when the sun was in Leo, it marked the death of a great person. There's also a rich mythology of heroes wrestling lions, which some have interpreted as the death of goddess-based religions, and in their place, more masculine-centric ones. Think of the biblical Samson, who killed a lion by brute force, Gilgamesh kills a lion-headed monster, and Heracles hunts down the Numean lion. This last one is of particular relevance, as it is the foundational myth for this zodiac sign. So, let's dive in. If you remember from the Cancer episode, Heracles had killed his wife due to a bout of insanity that Hera had sent to him as she was jealous of him, and as he was the result of Zeus's extramarital affair. For penance for murdering his family, Heracles had to accomplish 12 impossible tasks. His first task was the Numean lion. The lion was the son of Selene, the moon goddess, according to some accounts, who threw the creature from the moon by the request of Hera. Hera then nurtured and trained this beast to become a killing machine. Its claws would cut through anything, and its skin was so tough that nothing could pierce it. Weapons simply bounced off it, 
This lion was huge, twice the size of a normal lion, and it was terrorizing the mountain valley of Numea, between Cleone and Phleus. In some versions, it would capture women and take them back to its cave. Warriors would come to rescue the women, and the lion would brutally kill them. Upon arriving at Cleone, Heracles was greeted by Molochus, a shepherd who had lost his son to the lion. The man insisted on offering a sacrifice for Heracles, and his mission of killing the lion. But Heracles declined, saying wait 30 days for him to finish the task and for him to return, and they would make the sacrifice together in the honour of Zeus. If the 30 days passed, and Heracles hadn't returned, the man was to make a sacrifice in Heracles' honour. Heracles set off into the wilderness, and on his way he found an olive tree. He pulled it out the ground, roots and all, and fashioned it into a club. He was ready to face the lion. After days had passed, Heracles finally tracked the lion down, and stealthily drew his bow and arrow. He took aim and fired. His arrow bounced straight off the creature, and it ran away. He picked up his club and chased it. It ran into the cave at the base of a mountain called Tretos. So he waited. It was only a matter of time before it came out again. But the lion didn't. Heracles, when he went into the cave, realised it was actually a double-mouthed cave. He blocked one of the entrances to contain the lion, and then walked deeper into the cave to track the beast once again. He eventually found it, and a fight ensued. In some versions, Heracles loses a finger to the beast. He manages to smash the lion's head with his olive club. Its skull splits the weapon, and Heracles casts it aside. The creature, while not harmed, is stunned. Heracles realises he has a chance. He grabs the animal by the scruff of its neck and wraps his arms around its neck and begins to squeeze, choking the animal and cutting off its air supply. The lion struggles for release, but Heracles holds strong till its limbs hang lifeless and limp. For his task to be completed, he needed proof of its death, and he certainly wasn't going to carry the body across Greece. So, kneeling on the floor, he tried to skin the creature, but obviously none of his tools could pierce its skin. After struggling for a while, Athena, who was watching him struggle, came to him and said to use the creature's claw. It worked. The lion's claw effortlessly glided through its skin. Heracles wore this skin and used it as armour. Heracles returns to Eurystheus. Remember, he was the king who was watching over Heracles' tasks and making sure they were completed. And he was terrified. How had Heracles been able to kill such a fearsome creature? He forbade him to ever enter the city again, and he told Heracles to prove his completed tasks in front of the city gates. Eurystheus also had a bronze urn built and buried in the ground, which he would come to use to hide in when Heracles was returning from his tasks. He also refused to speak to the hero face to face. He sent a herald instead. Now, to honour the beast that she had nurtured, Hera raised him into the stars. Though, some accounts say that it was Zeus that did this. To me, it makes more sense that Hera did it as she had a connection to the beast. Another myth regarding this sign is from the Roman poet Ovid in his Metamorphoses. The lovers Pyramus and Thisbe are refused to marry by their parents. They would often meet in secret, and this time, they chose to meet beyond the city walls, near a mulberry tree with white berries. Thisbe arrived first at the tree, but was chased by a lion who was still bloody from his kill. 
As she ran, she lost her veil, which the lion pounced on and bloodied, and this allowed her to escape. Pyramus rocks up and sees the bloody veil, and now he assumes his lover has been eaten. Distraught, he pulls out his sword and kills himself. Thisbe returns to see Pyramus lying dead. She grabbed the sword and joined her lover in the afterlife. As a result of this bloodshed, the mulberries were stained red, which explains why they are red today. Now Zeus places Thisbe's veil in the sky near Leo as the constellation Coma Benices, which is said to be the lion's tail. Does this story sound familiar? It was the inspiration behind Romeo and Juliet. There's a star within Leo that defies scientific explanation, Capho star. Analysis shows that it's made up of mainly hydrogen and helium, and it's deficient in carbon and iron. Now, according to our science, you need all four for a star. Kafau shouldn't exist. Also, it's very old. Our sun is four billion years old, while Kafau is over 13 billion. And scientists believe it was created right after the Big Bang. It could be one of the oldest stars in the galaxy. There's also the Leonids to talk about. These are meteor showers that occur within Leo. And they are most often seen in November, with 10 to 20 meteors per hour. They come from the Tempel-Tuttle comet, which orbits the sun every 33 years. Therefore, three times a century, the showers will be particularly dense as the comet is completing its orbit. It's closer to Earth. Now, these showers can be up to 1,000 meteors per hour. The biggest shower was in 1833, and people were terrified. They thought it was the end of days. Around 100,000 to 240,000 meteors fell per hour. That's 4,000 per minute. I can see why they may have been scared by this. Regulus is the biggest star in the constellation, and it is 288 times brighter than our sun. Throughout history, it has heavily been associated with royal power and the guardian of the heavens. It's thought it brought excessive heat at the height of summer. Within Egypt, it was seen as the Eye of Ra. According to Egyptian mythology, Sekhmet, a fearsome lioness deity, was born from this eye. When Ra was angry with humanity, he threw this eye to earth and unleashed Sekhmet. Let's look into this myth. Ra ruled on earth. There was no separation between mortals and deities. The land was plenty, and everyone in the kingdom was happy. But Ra was growing old, and it was showing. People began to question his authority and ability to rule, and began to plot against him and rose up to revolt. Now Ra responded to this and scared these people with his power and wrath and pushed them into the desert. But he was not content. He didn't want to stop there. He went to his oldest gods and goddesses for advice. None, you might remember her from last week's episode. She was the primordial waters from which the first mound rose. She told Ra there would be no peace until the rebellion was killed. Ra called his daughter Hathor and asked her for help. She grew angry and transformed into a darker expression of Sekhmet, the lion-headed goddess, meaning she who is terrible. She charged through the desert and killed those who fled. She then turned to the river and blew through the towns like a hot desert wind, bringing death and disease with her. The river turned red from the blood of those she had slaughtered. Ra was satisfied, but Sekhmet wasn't. She had become thirsty for blood. 
So to stop her, he dyed beer with red osha and poured it onto the fields where Sekhmet would walk past. She saw the blood-red fields and drank them dry. Becoming drunk, she lay down to sleep, where she transformed back into her Thor. Now her Thor wakes and returns to her father. He was worried that a revolt would take place again, so he had a plan. He chose to designate a pharaoh who would be an earthly representative of Ra and rule in his absence. He climbed onto the back of Nut, the sky goddess, and ascended to the heavens. This is how the gods departed Egypt, and how the ruling dynasties were set up. The lion and the sun have been a potent pairing in mythology, relating to empires and kingship. The lion to many cultures confers meanings of power, prosperity and glory, and it's one of the most used symbols that represents force. All cultures throughout time have paid homage to the sun, and it's also closely tied to royalty. The Numean lion is said to be symbolic of a powerful personality running wild and damaging what is around it. The lion of our personality needs to be tracked down and dealt with in order to deepen our spirituality. And majors, that's it. That's a wrap for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. My intent with this podcast is to provide guidance and inspiration for those on their spiritual path and to talk about interesting parts of history relating to spirituality. I also want to connect you with information that is both useful and reliable. Would you like to support me and encourage me in creating more episodes? With your support, I can give the podcast more time and create more quality content. You can support me through Patreon and gain access to exclusive content and be part of the Majors Well community, as well as being in the communal sugarpots bell. The link is in the episode description. You could also support me by following my Instagram at the Majors Well, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and telling your friends about the show. Please get in touch with anything you wish to share at themajorswell at gmail.com and you may just get featured. A big thank you to Coral St. Clair for the podcast artwork. Peace out, witches. Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.